Good morning, everyone. Okay, I just want to know how many of you, when you see these ears, it makes you smile. Raise your hand. Oh, yeah. Well, these ears are the property of our children's pastor, as it should be, right? But Disneyland and the company of Disney knows why they're here. Can anybody tell me what Disney likes to call their place in Southern Cal? Yeah, the happiest place on earth. You see, they know what their mission is. They know what their assignment is. They're very upfront about it. They said, we're in the happiness business. We make magic that brings smiles to people's faces and to their hearts. They do a really good job at it. And there's a lot of successful individuals and organizations that have asked this question, why do we exist? Why are we here? What's our purpose? And when they answer that question, like Disney did, the decision to make people happy guides every decision, the way they prioritize the options that they have, the way they focus their activities and pick the best out of the good. That's what happens when you know why you're here. We're going to take a look today out of an incident in Jesus' life. Jesus knew why he was here. And we want to take a look at that and see how that helped him recognize distractions and detours that came in his path and how he was able to move past those. And hopefully, we'll learn a little bit from Jesus today on how to live our lives on purpose, a missional life, we're calling a life with an assignment. And to do that, I want to take a look with you at Luke 4. We're finishing up the fourth chapter, verse 42 through 44. Luke 4, verses 42 through 44. This is what it says. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place, and the people were looking for him. And when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Well, I'd like to read for you a parallel passage. This is Mark's description in his gospel of the very same incident. And he provides a few extra details. Usually it's Luke, the, the Dr. Luke, who makes lots of observations. But in this case, Mark tells us a couple other things. So I want to read from Mark 1, verses 35 through 39, the very same story. It says this, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went to a solitary place, where he prayed. Simon, that would be Simon Peter, and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to nearby villages so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Just a little bit of setting for what we just read. You remember last week, Jared talked to us about Jesus being at Peter's mother-in-law house and healing her of a fever and then casting out demons. And then a whole bunch of people arrived just after sunset. They heard that he could do these things, that he had power and that he had authority. 
And they were amazed at what he was doing. So everybody showed up at the doorstep. Sunset on the Sabbath. Now Jesus has just healed a lot of sick people. And he's cast out demons. And he's probably pretty tired. By this time, it's probably pretty late at night. It's got to have been exhausting. And it says that he did what he often did, which was to find a solitary place and pray. It was the way he recharged his batteries and refocused his efforts. And that's where we pick up the story. Now, the people of Capernaum were looking for him. I mean, he'd just done amazing things. And Simon Peter, it says, was at the head of the pack. And the whole crew was trying to get Jesus to stay there and not leave town. But Jesus says, I have to do what I was sent to do. And he goes ahead and travels on preaching the good news of the kingdom everywhere. And we want to take a look at the fact that Jesus was sent on purpose with a mission. And this mission trumped other people's agendas for him. And then we want to consider what does that mean for our lives. So just the first observation about Jesus in this passage. Jesus was sent on purpose with a mission. He told us what it was. He said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also. Because that's why I was sent. That's why I'm here. Disney is here to make people happy. Jesus was here to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. And Jesus knew why he was sent. Must. That's a word that carries a have-to connotation. I have to do this. It carries a sense of urgency. And this started very early in Jesus' life, using this have-to for his mission. He always used this word must when he talked about it. You can look at him when he was 12 years old. Luke 2 tells the story. He was 12 years old. His parents had traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover. He stays behind in the temple while their entourage, including parents, take off. About three days into the journey, they discover son one is missing. They head back and they find him at the temple. What's he doing? He's talking about God's word with some of the greatest scholars of God's word in his day and baffling them on many hands. But what does he say? Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? A must. A have to. Then he's, oh, just about three days out from Jerusalem where he's going to give his life. And some of the Pharisees come to him. It's very rare for them to be concerned about his welfare. But on this occasion, they come to him and tell him, don't go to Jerusalem. Herod wants to kill you. And what does he answer? He said, I must go to Jerusalem. No prophet dies outside of Jerusalem. I must. I have to. When it came to his mission, Jesus used these words, must, because it was something he had to do. It's why he was here. And then he uses this word, that's why I was sent. This word sent, a simple word that just means to send somebody out with an assignment, to send somebody out with a mission. That's what a, a mission is. It's, it's not rocket science. It's just you have something that you're supposed to do. Jesus was sent out with something that the Father wanted him to do. Now, the good news of the kingdom that he was supposed to be preaching, the good news of the kingdom of God, that just meant the good news of the reign of God. That's what kingdom of God means. The rule or reign of God on earth. Come to us. And Jesus saying, I am. The kingdom of God has come to you. When I come, I'm bringing that. And I'm here now. John put this mission another way. In John 3, 16 and 17, some of you could quote it. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe on him would not perish, but would have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Luke states it another way. The son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus was announcing to them. He had announced the day before in the synagogue, I am the Messiah. I'm the one you received all those wonderful promises about, that I would give good news to the poor, that I would set captives free, that I would give sight to the blind, that I would let the oppressed be freed from their bondage. He said, that's fulfilled today through me. So he's announced this to them. And what he's really telling them, we go, well, I've heard that before. But this crowd, what what he was telling them is that God loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. And he's making it possible by sending me, the Messiah, to die in your place. And this was a radical mission that Jesus was introducing in their minds. You see, this was different than the religion they'd grown up with. The religion where they had to have a priest make sacrifices for their sin into the foreseeable future. Until a Messiah came, that would be required because all of us have sinned from the beginning of Adam to now. And and they understood this. Where literally they were trying to live up to God's standards by following all the laws that were laid out in the Pentateuch, in the first five books of the Bible that God prescribed. An impossible standard that resulted in them bearing a lot of guilt. And furthermore, anyone with a disease or a sickness or a malady, as we've talked about it, whether it was mental illness or physical illness or some physical deformity or handicap, they would have been excluded. This was good news. This was a message of grace that Jesus was bringing. His mission was to bring this message of grace that was so great that Jesus, hanging on a cross, could say to the criminal hanging next to him who told Jesus, remember me today. When you get to your father. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. In just that little time, Jesus accepted this person who had lived a life completely opposed to God's law. This is good news that Jesus was bringing unless you have a competing agenda. And that brings us to the second observation about Jesus' mission. Jesus' mission always trumped other people's agendas for him, what other people thought he should do in the moment or in the future. It says here that they tried to keep him from leaving them. Now, I want you to think for a minute with me. The people were looking for him, and this is where Mark kind of increases the intensity because Mark uses a compound verb here, and it's the, the feel of the word and the verb here is that they were chasing Jesus down like a bunch of people on a hunt would go if you're a guy that hunts. They were running after Jesus, and the head of the pack was Peter. And they were looking for him. Now, I think to myself, wouldn't I have been part of that crowd chasing Jesus? If I was in Capernaum, if I'd been there the night before in that home, if I'd seen him cast out demons from people and see them sitting there in their right mind thinking clearly, if I'd seen him heal the sight of somebody completely blind, What kind of a chase would I have been on to ensure that that Jesus didn't leave me? Just bringing it into 21st century in our lives, I thought about some of my friends. 
I thought about my friends whose daughter is bipolar. What if they'd been there that night and their daughter was healed once and for all from her bipolar disease, never having to take any medication, never having to worry that there'd be a manic or depressive episode again? What if my friend who's recently diagnosed with breast cancer had been there that night and her tumor was declared gone and she was completely healed? What if my friend with a son who was born with cerebral palsy, who's been in a wheelchair most of his life, what if he got up and walked and was able to talk in normal tones without using equipment and machinery? I'm not sure a double verb would be enough to express how I'd be chasing after Jesus. I'd be right there with him. Jesus, you can't leave us. We want more of your miracles. The crowd begging Jesus to stay was just one of many distractions. It was an early one in Jesus' ministry, but not an unusual one. He got a lot of distractions and detours from other people in doing his mission. Others attempted to get him to follow their agendas and prevent him from happening. But remember what we said? When you know your mission, it helps determine or focus your activities, helps you choose the best out of the good. And this is what Jesus did. He wasn't here to talk about politics, whether Herod was a great leader or not. He wasn't here to, to picket those who didn't agree with his justice causes and how they treated the poor or how a woman caught in adultery. He wasn't here for that. He wasn't here to win at the polls of public opinion. You know, even the death of the person I call his PR man, John the Baptist, who paved the way for him. When John the Baptist was killed, you didn't see Jesus suddenly go to Herod's palace and, you know, join a picket line or go on a rampage about the absolutely senseless murder of a great prophet of God. What did he do? He got alone with his father and his followers. And then he continued on the mission. He immediately went into a teaching session with a whole bunch of people who needed to hear the good news. He refused to let that divert him. Peter himself had tried to, tried to divert him later on several occasions. One of those was when Jesus announced what he was going to do. He announced his mission more clearly than he ever had before. He said, the Jewish religious leaders are going to um, come and collect me and mistreat me, and there's going to be a trial, and I'm going to go to the cross, and I'm going to be put to death, and three days later, I'm going to raise from the dead. And what did Peter say? Never, Lord. Competing agenda. That's not the plan, Jesus. Just to let you know. You're going to stick around with us and we're going to set things up here. But what did Jesus tell him? He actually said some of his strongest words. Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block because you have the interests of men and not the interests of God. What was he saying? My mission is bigger than your personal agenda. My mission is going to be kept. It's going to help me choose the best out of the good. His mission trumped others' personal agendas. This, yesterday, I got to go to an Oregon Duck basketball game where they're playing the Washington Huskies. It was a fun game, and we, we won the game. Sorry to any Husky fans that are out there, but 
Uh, but it was really fun. And I had read an article on the coach this past week in the Oregonian. And Coach Dana Altman, he um, got criticized recently because the team was playing. And, you know, they like to rock the house in Eugene. So even with this new Matthew Knight Arena, they're famous for getting so crazy that the floor even shakes. And it can kind of change the game sometimes. Woohoo for the sixth man. But what Dana Altman did angered the fans because he got up and he told the crowd to settle down because they were going to get a technical. And a technical always results in free throws for the other team. And he's told, he told us in the interview, he said he has a little thing that he writes on his practice sheet every day. C-Y-T. Coach your team. I got to thinking about this, and I thought about what did Jesus practice card? I wonder if he had a scroll written there for him that he could pull out of his robes and his belt every day and take a look at it. It might say, PGNK, proclaim the good news of the kingdom, or shortened version, PGE, proclaim the good news everywhere. That might be what it said. You see, because Jesus knew his assignment. And it focused his activities and prioritized his options. That's right. It helped him know what he was going to say no to. And he said no to some really good stuff like this. I mean, isn't it great to see people healed? Isn't it great to see demons cast out of people? And doesn't it seem reasonable that he should just stay in one town and do that until everybody has been touched and then go to the next town? And when everybody has been touched... But that's not what he did. He refused to be distracted or deter because he knew that his mission was bigger than that personal agenda. He knew that he was going to conquer even death itself, that he was coming to destroy the effects of sin that had been set in motion with Adam and Eve and that every one of us have lived out and that he was going to conquer it once and for all. And once and for all, there'd be no other sacrifice needed after his sacrifice on the cross. And that was big enough to put every other agenda that got in the way of it aside. I like how Max Licato puts it. He said, if you don't have a plan for your time, other people will. And the first one to claim it wins. Jesus let his time be claimed for the purpose that he was sent for. He refused to be distracted or deterred by other people's agendas for him. And this is where we get personal. And we ask the question, so what about us? What about you and me? What about our mission from him? What about our focus on his mission? We want to consider that for just a couple minutes. The first application is really, do we really understand that you and I have been sent by God on purpose with a mission? We have been co-commissioned. We're included in Jesus' mission. And many of you are familiar with the verses in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. It says, Then Jesus came to them, his disciples, and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to obey or observe everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Paul put it this way. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. 
as though God, through us, were making his appeal to our friends, to our neighbors, to our co-workers. Be reconciled to God. We get to bring that good news. We are his sent ones. We're sent to make disciples, to help people become followers of Jesus. So how does that happen? You know, a lot of times we make it a lot harder than it's supposed to be. You don't have to have his love letter memorized to share what Jesus is doing in your life right now with the people around you. All it takes is sharing God's love with people and the ways that he gives you to do that, the people right in front of you. And in that atmosphere of love, you get asked those questions. Why did you do that for me? Why would you spend that time with me? Why would you help me in that way? And when people ask why, we get this opportunity to share what Jesus has done in our lives, to share his story in our lives. And we're ready when they ask for a reason, for the hope that's within us. That's our mission, to spread the good news of Jesus Christ wherever we go. And we send others just like Jesus was sent by the Father, just like the early church. We're a missionary band. And did you know that we're sending people all the time? Did you know that we've sent Debbie Bonebreak to Mooberry School, to a classroom of kids, and to the co-workers that she works with and rubs shoulders with every day, and her husband Jason, to the kids that he transports with special needs every day in the Hillsborough School District? He's been sent on that bus with a mission. Did you know that we send Jamie Lentz and Phil, her husband? Jamie goes into Mooberry every day and teaches a kindergarten class. And Phil is an athletic trainer at Pacific University. And those athletes, he's being sent to them by God. That's not just a way to make a living in God's eyes because we're on a mission. And it's a lot bigger than making people happy. We're sending Tony to his job with a welding company where he works alongside a whole bunch of other people. And they get to see his life and ask him questions, and he gets to share. We're sending Ryan to all those 20-something buddies that he's collected, his band of followers, I like to call them. And his friends are watching his life. That's not just hanging out. That's being sent. We could grow, go across the room. Today there's moms sitting out here and you're thinking, well, maybe others are sent, but I'm staying home. You're sent to your kids. It'd be sad to save the whole world and lose your own family. You're being sent to your kids. You're a grandparent out there. You've been sent on a mission with your grandkids. Today, we've been sent, just like them. And this Tuesday, we're going to send Kevin and Emily. And we're going to have, not this Tuesday, but this next week. But this Tuesday, we're having a prayer service here from 7 to 8. And there's a place for kids that are too young or you feel wouldn't be able to sit for that long or be part of that for that long to also have wonderful ministry. But families are invited to come. And we're going to pray in preparation because we're sending them to a city of people. I know that that church has an old YMCA for a building, but that is not where they're going. 
They're going to a city, the city of Corvallis, and we want to send them. And every week here, some of you are going to Intel, and some of you are going to preschools, and some of you are being sent to homeowners association meetings like we are once a month. Some of you to neighbors' homes, and some of you to grocery stores, or your dentists, or your dry cleaners. We are on a mission. This last week, on Friday night, um, we had our um, e-recovery. And the leader for that the last two years has been a woman named Tay Doze. Some of you have met her. Just an amazing woman and leader. And we were celebrating her. But you know what? We all gathered around at the end. We laid hands on her and prayed and sent her because she is going to work for Alaska Airlines. And when she first told me about it, I said, Tay, you are taking e-recovery on the road. In the truest sense of the word. You are taking it to Alaska employees, to the captains on those airplanes that you'll be flying on, and to your fellow stewardesses or flight attendants, and to that crash pad. I've always kind of thought that crash pad was a kind of an ironic term for flight attendants to use for the place they hang out when they're staying in other uh, towns and cities. But she's going to spend time with six to eight other flight attendants doing that in this crash pad. Do you think she's on a mission? Do you think she's been sent by God? She has, and it was awesome to get to pray for her. So this Tuesday, as we pray, yes, we're going to send Kevin and Emily, our student ministries pastors, and we're going to send a whole team of people with them. But did you know that we're going to be praying for you and for me, for all of us, that we'll live lives that are as focused and more than a company that just wants to make people smile? So that brings us to a question for ourselves. What are you doing on purpose where you've been sent? What does it look like to fulfill God's mission for you where you've been sent? And that brings us to the second point of consideration or application for us. It's that God's mission trumps our personal agendas for us. And sometimes haven't you found that your own agenda gets in the way? Just let me give you an example. My homeowners association. Just the busyness of life can do this. When I see that, t- that Tuesday night's coming up and it's going to be the, it's the night that it's the meeting, do you think I go, woohoo? No, what I sometimes think of, sometimes I'm tired and I think I've got two other things coming up, two other nights of the week already committed, and I've got this. And I forget, I completely forget that I'm on a mission. But when I remember, it changes everything. So I had a couple of friends who were going to a mandatory work party, okay? This weekend. Anybody of you ever had that mandatory fun? It's kind of an oxymoron in some ways. Okay, so they, they were tired. They work long hours. They work with lots of people. They work at giving care and teaching and training others. And they were a little bit exhausted. So they weren't thinking that this was, you know, too cool. Just like I was about my homeowners association. And so we just started talking about how God is sending them. It's a two nights and three days with all these families that they work with. And people can really see a difference in their lives and really engage with them in a conversation about his story in their lives. You know, maybe sometimes it's trials or troubles. And uh, this last week, a wonderful story, my friend who's been diagnosed with breast cancer, her boss happens to be a breast cancer survivor in her company. And so she has been just leaning on Jesus and praying during this time, but her boss doesn't know Jesus. So her boss came to her this last week and said, 
it seems like you're going through this a lot more calmly than I went through this because she's waiting still for some of the results before they decide the course of action. She had the perfect opening. She said, I don't know how people do this with Jesus. You know why she said that? Because that's what she feels. That's what she believes. And then she went on and she says, Jesus is helping me and I've got a lot of people praying for me. I know he's with me no matter what happened. And that's, that's what she got to share. Now, there's a whole other way to go through a trial where you just forget you're on a mission and it just ends with, woe is me. But my friend didn't forget that she's on a mission and she shared it. And pride, wanting to be cool or liked or wanting to be understood sometimes keeps us from remembering that we're on a mission. I was working in a hospital and I was going between an emergency room and medical records one night and the doc, one of the docs I'd worked with, he comes through the door and he said, Anne, okay, I have to tell you that I was singing, okay? It was nighttime and I didn't think anybody would hear me. So I was singing worship choruses and he opens the door and he says, Anne, why are you so happy? I'm on a mission, right? I was sent. Dr. Earl doesn't know Jesus. The first thing that came to my mind, Jesus. What did I say? Not that. As soon as Jesus' name came to mind, I thought, just like a lot of young people can think, and maybe sometimes we do this as we're older too, I thought these little things, tick, tick, tick. My mind was working fast. I was like, he's a doctor. I'm a lowly 20-something. You know, if I tell him Jesus, he's going to go, what? What do you mean? You know, that seemed too mystical. I don't know the exact words I said, but I mumbled something out. It was definitely not the mission accomplished, okay? You see, sometimes that can trip us up. Our pride or our wanting to make sense of all of it for somebody else. Maybe we're just supposed to let it hang there with them and leave the questions unanswered. Just the last one I want to mention is sometimes it's other good causes that get us distracted or deterred from Jesus' mission. This last week had one of those. One of our team members was mistreated by a business that he went to. And when he came back and reported it, I felt the steam come out my ears. It appeared to be prejudicial. And so I thought about, you know, going down there immediately, you know, to the business and standing up for him. And then I called my husband and I said, um, I'm, this is what I'm thinking about. And, and he said, um, he had his own steam coming out his ears. But then he said, um, let's wait 24 hours, you know. So we did. We waited 24 hours. And anyway, in, in the course of that, what do you think Jesus reminded me of? You're on a mission. And, and that mission includes the owners of this business. They need to see Jesus' love, even if they were unjust, even if they have prejudice, even if they did, mistreated your friend. You've got to show them what it looks like to love like Jesus loves. So I knew what I had to do. And I called them and arranged for it. And now this team member and I are going in next week and they want to talk to us about what happened. And we get to love them in Jesus' name. Because we're on a mission. I don't want to be distracted by other causes or seeming injustices that Jesus loved people right through. And in spite of. He amazes me. So what agenda tends to keep you from staying on mission, from focusing your activities and 
from making decisions of the best over the good. I'd like you to take the wood strip that you received and you're going to write the one. If there is one for you in these next few minutes, you can write it down on the wood stick and in just a few minutes, I'm going to let you do something with those. Because the question is, what do I need to lay aside so that I can do what God sent me to do? My mother-in-law, her name was Jean Roth. And she's an, she was an amazing woman. And she was a mentor in my life and somebody that I always looked up to. I couldn't relate to any mother-in-law jokes because truly I had this amazing mother-in-law. And early in her marriage, Jake had to leave her with her two young babies baby girls, and head off to serve our country. And she began writing and sharing the good news with and praying for people from Japan because they were the reason that her husband had to leave her with their two little babies and live on a subsistence living. Now, she never left the country except for one brief trip over the border in Mexico when her and Jake went to El Centro much later in her life. But she shared the good news of Jesus with people on several continents and at least 20 countries. Beginning with Japan and continuing with many other countries until her death just this past year. She lived most of her life in the country on a little farm of modest means. And you won't find her on a runway or any fashion photo shoot. And she won't be in any group of world leaders But her gifts and her emails and her letters and her offerings have sustained dozens of missionaries and dignitaries and people from all walks of life across the world. And she's helped hundreds, if not thousands, of people come to Jesus after more than 50 years of prayer and correspondence and visits to their farm. You see, Jean never retired from Jesus' mission. She prayed for and shared Jesus with pen pals. She wrote and submitted articles and poems for publication so that she could share Jesus' story of her little family and their story of Jesus from the farm. She started a neighborhood Sunday school because she saw kids on Sunday that were just playing outdoors and obviously didn't have an opportunity to go to church. And it turned into a church. She saw an opportunity to reach even more kids, and she began to teach good news clubs in the schools. That's where I first met her as a fifth grader. I didn't know him, but I met his mom at a good news club. She led Bible studies with women in her neighborhood and in the community. And then she began to expand her pen pals to people across several continents. And eventually changed from snail mail, some of the time, to email. She hosted people from several countries on their farm over the years, these people that she had communicated with. She began to teach at the Mennonite community that she was a part of after a unanimous vote of all the men who agreed that Jean could teach God's word because she would be giving her testimony, quote, and that would be okay. She served in the nursery at the church that we planted And she taught the younger women how to spend time with Jesus while they were raising their kids like she had and how to deal with disappointments 
as she had with the death of her son. And how to encourage their children's faith. And when they got older and Jake retired and he, they traveled to El Centro for the son, she volunteered in the schools in El Centro and taught kids how to read who were English was a second language for. And then maintained new relationships with those teachers. Surprise, by mail, writing letters back and forth. She came to Camp Crestview as a cramp, camp grandma and taught the counselors how to lead kids to Christ. And then there would be Jean, who by this time could only get around slowly on that campus. But that was an advantage because all the kids would follow her around. And when Jean would stop, they would all get down and they'd get down like this. And she had listening ears and sparkly blue eyes. And she would listen when nobody else had time. And she would love them and pray for them. And then when they moved into a retirement village off the farm... She led a Bible study at that retirement village. And then her mobility became more limited, so she began to correct prisoners' correspondence courses in the Bible. And, of course, she couldn't just mark them right or wrong. She had to write copious notes of encouragement, and she would write little scriptures for them in the margins of all their work and then send it back to them. And then she found a woman in the lobby of her assisted living in her 90th year. She discovered that this woman had never read the Bible for herself. So she said, how would you like me to help you study the Bible? And we'll start with the book of John. And that's what she was doing until she went to be with Jesus. Jean never retired from God's mission. So we tried to let people know that she had gone to be with Jesus this past year. But, you know, you missed some people. Somehow we missed one of the missionaries to Japan, and it's somebody that Jared and I actually went to school with growing up, so we were quite surprised. But we received this wonderful letter just a few weeks ago, and this is what she had to say. She said, I did want to share some news which will greatly interest you since you've faithfully prayed many years for Japan. The last year, we've seen some amazing changes The Holy Spirit is moving to touch hearts and bring many to repentance and to seek God's forgiveness and life in Christ. The Japanese are receiving opened eyes and desiring to turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they might receive the forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified in Christ. When a realization of sin comes, the people are breaking down into tears and crying out to God. And he answers You have to know that for many years, nothing, very little results were coming. We are not sure how all this is happening. It is not because of us. It's nothing we do. But each Sunday, hands are raised to accept Christ. Water baptisms are scheduled every month. And people are seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Age-wise, 20s, 30s, and 40s are the majority. They are all hungry for Bible teaching. Straight from the Bible, and we are seeing whole families of Buddhists come to faith in Christ. Jean remembered she was sent on purpose to share the best news that the planet ever heard. It wasn't this. It was better. She refused to let a war She refused to let rural isolation or lack of transportation. They were a one-car family for most of her years. 
the death of her third child or her mobility or others' agendas for her. Keep her from God's mission to share the good news of Jesus. And the question for us today is, what about us? I pray that her example would inspire us. And this letter even would remind us that even when we don't see results, it doesn't change the fact that we're on a mission and God is up to something through us.